Oh my God. I, I was flying to South Dakota over the weekend and I put on the blank check episode of Back to the Future mm-hmm. and I fell asleep on the tarmac before we even took off and I woke up and they had gotten to the part in Back to the Future where the Libyans come and like attack Doc and I was like, oh God, I'm barely into this like episode at all. Like we probably just took off and then the pilot was like, you know, we're now getting ready to descend in Sioux Falls. And I was like, they've spoken for two hours and they got through the first 20 <laughs> minutes of them. They haven't even gone back in time yet. That's so funny. <laughs> I actually have a good fall asleep story that I'm going to tease that I might say later that might relate to this episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, we don't talk for two hours usually because most of our movies yeah. have nothing to talk about. Oh God, yeah. This was a good movie though. I like this one. such a good movie. This I is love the, this movie. This I actually this really like like it. This was the like probably my favorite thing that we've watched so far. Deuce, mm. I would say. I w- Daniel, does it beat? Should we? Uh, welcome oh, okay. to. <laughs> <laughs> Let, me off. Let me just start it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> welcome to. We're not here to watch Friends, the podcast about the films of. Okay. Wait. No. Let me do God it. Damn it. I always because I don't. Okay. So because you mentioned Blake this every week. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I feel like since you mentioned Blank Check earlier, I don't. I feel like we shouldn't say two friends in the intro. Why? Because they they have like hashtag two friends like basically locked up. Do they really? Yeah. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that they own the market on two people being friends with each other. I feel like they do. I don't think anyone else is allowed to be friends with each other. But our podcast has friends in the title. That's a good point. That makes it a little bit better that we have it actually. We should retroactively sue them. Hey, where's Barry? They all laughed at Christopher Columbus oh, when he said the world was round. Let me, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> Welcome to We're Not Here to Watch Friends, the podcast about the careers of the actors from the TV show Friends outside of Friends by two friends, Daniel and Brandon. I'm Daniel. I think you should do that again. <laughs> Uh, I'm Brandon, and today we have a very special guest, uh, falsely credited as the as the inventor of the frisbee in Back to the Future Part Three. It's Garrett. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Hey, Garrett. We're, we're happy to have you. Um, this has actually been a long time coming. This episode, uh, when Daniel and I were still talking about doing this podcast before we even actually recorded an episode, I told the premise to Garrett, and he said, "I want to be on the whole nine yards episode." So yeah. here we are only like 13 or 14 episodes in finally getting around to doing the the first guest appearance that I promised to do. And the fucked up thing was Garrett told us this in 1999. <laughs> 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 two years for this. He said before the movie even came out. Well, yeah, but, you know, he he had gotten he had seen the script before. You know, he was he was working for New Line Cinema. Who who produced this? <laughs> I'm scared to look it up because I'm worried it's going to be Harvey Weinstein. Uh, it almost certainly was. Was. But yeah, so we are finally watching the whole nine yards. Uh, Bruce Willis, Matthew Perry, and Amanda Peet, part of the We're Not Here to Watch Friends extended universe. At a certain point, we are absolutely just going to start covering Amanda Peet films because she's basically part of the game. You know? It's Amanda Peet, Leslie Mann. Well, this is really Amanda Peet coming out party, in my opinion. This is where Amanda Peet just came onto the scene, you know, in more ways than one. Uh, <laughs> I watched this movie. Uh, I got very high before watching it for the first time. And and uh, my girlfriend walked into the bedroom. So I'm watching it on my laptop uh, with headphones on in bed. And my girlfriend walks in just as the, uh, you know, you see Amanda Pete topless. And I was just <laughs> like, one of those things where it's like, it's like watching a sex scene with your parents where like your girlfriend walking in on you looking at a nude lady on your laptop. I'm like, mm, this looks worse than it might actually be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the i mean it's an amazing part too when bruce willis is like put some clothes on and then he's like actually <laughs> it's great it's so good um do we want to do we want to do a quick rundown on what the premise of this movie is sure so premise of this movie whole nine yards starring matthew perry bruce willis 
Are you vamping just so you can go look up? (laughs) Michael Clark Duncan, Amanda (laughs) Heat, Kevin Pollack, Natasha Henstridge. Uh, It's a movie about a dentist in Quebec, which we need to talk about why it's in Canada later. Oh, yeah. I have a really weird fun fact about this movie being in Canada. (laughs) Can't wait for that. Who uh, is hated by his wife and basically just lives every day as a dentist without any sort of fun things happening in his life until one day his new neighbor comes and it's a contract killer who is hiding out from Chicago, played by Bruce Willis, named Jimmy the Tulip Tudeschi. Their shenanigans started suing. People started putting out hits on people. Amanda Peet was hired to put out a, was hired by uh, Zayn Arquette to put out a hit on Matthew Perry. It's a whole thing. A lot of people just put out hits on each other. I lost track halfway through the movie, to be honest. But they pretty much just, a lot of shenanigans ensue with contract killers putting out hits on each other. And then, of course, you know, we have the plot line of Matthew Perry falling in love with Bruce Willis's ex-wife, Natasha Hemstridge. Well, current wife. They're both, yes, that's right. They're still technically married. Uh, and uh, so lots of hijinks. Yes. Two of the worst uh, accents of all time from uh, Kevin Pollack uh, trying to do Hungarian for like the first scene that he's in the movie and then just giving it up for the rest of it. And then uh, Rosanna Arquette's woeful French-Canadian attempt. (laughs) A lot of people said she was trying to do like an Inspector Clouseau accent in the reviews. And I was like, yeah, I guess I can see that. I actually enjoyed her accent though. She worked with an accent coach to get to that level too, which I I always love when a really bad accent um, had a lot of money spent up front. Like they hired someone, she spent a lot of time working on the accent and that's just as good as it got was this like, (laughs) like she's, she's like doing the Quebecois accent I do when I'm making fun of how Quebecois separatists are all like wanting to lower the age of consent where they're just like... Uh, you see I am from Quebec it's like it's like that bad and she's a professional actress yeah with uh, the the cigarette and everything you know oh yeah it rules ripping it down I hate you 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 stupid (laughs) Matthew Perry I love how they um, set up the movie of like oh Matthew Perry is like miserable where in like the first scene she asks him for money and then it's just like oh it would be a good day if you died yes (laughs) rules it's just like no no fat to trim just like look this lady sucks all right (laughs) and then he goes out to lunch with amanda pete who plays jill his assistant who we find out later in the movie was hired by rosanna arquette to kill him but didn't because she just liked him as a person too much they're out to lunch and jill is just like well you could just whack her I love that scene because I, I really enjoy whenever a friend's cast member does not understand what someone else is trying to tell them to do. And that's a perfect example of that where like Matthew Perry is just basically not taking her for her word. He's just like, yeah, yeah, sure. Like I could kill her, I guess. And she's like, I could, I know someone who could kill her. And he's just like not taking her seriously at all. And she's being like very persistent about it the whole time. Oh yeah. He's too focused on the fact that his hamburger has mayonnaise on it. Oh, right. yes. The, the movie takes a lot of little digs at French Canadian culture along the way. Way, which I find to be very funny as well. The IMDb trivia for this movie makes the insane claim that this is the first American movie uh, ever to be filmed on location in Quebec. And it's just, that can't be true. I mean, it could be. It, it just seems like like somehow that would have happened before then, you know? Is it the first American movie filmed in Quebec or is it the first movie ever filmed in Quebec? Is the first mainstream American film to be filmed on location in Montreal all Quebec. That okay. is what it's claiming. 99 out of 109 found this interesting. <laughs> I guess those other 10 know the truth that it's wrong. IMDb trivia is full of stuff that like isn't true. Like it claims that um, uh, Val Kilmer is one of the first openly gay characters in the movie Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. It's like that movie came out in 2006. That is that's like Philadelphia came out before that movie. There's a bunch of openly gay characters in movies before. So IMDb trivia because it's like submitted by users i think a lot of it's just bullshit but that one to me feels very wrong well catch me if you can film part of it in quebec 
And that was after this movie. So maybe Steven Spielberg saw this movie in theaters and was like, that's a great spot to film something. It is very pretty though. When they like him and uh, Bruce Willis go up to like, like Matthew Perry, like immediately recognizes who Bruce Willis is. He's this like terrifying contract killer. And Bruce Willis is like, Oh, like you're my new neighbor. Let's go for a drive. And he's like terrified. And then cut scene. And they're like walking up the thing in, in uh, Montreal. And they're like, Oh, uh, here's why I hate my wife. Here's why I hate mine. And they're like, Oh, they're best friends. One thing about this movie side note, it feels like it takes place over the course of like two and a half days. I think it (laughs) does. It has to, right? Like, it seems like it's just so fast paced with everything just coming out at everybody. Like Matthew Perry, like figures out who his next door neighbor is, falls in love with that guy's wife. That guy falls in love with his receptionist. All of these people are putting out hits on each other. And then Matthew Perry and Natasha Hemstridge, like end up happily ever after at the end of the movie. Spoiler alert. The other thing about like him figuring out who he is, I think like when, when he like raises his arm and you see the tulip tattoo and then it goes into the newspaper sequence, really well done. I really like just like, yeah, boom, this is who this is. You know, it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, what I was saying earlier about how like, you know, his wife is like, oh, I need money and I hope you die. Just really quick, like establishing who this person is, you know, their entire deal in two seconds. Uh, this movie is, does that in a really good way. Do we have to assume that means that Matthew Perry read all those newspapers about this and remembered every single detail about them? Dude, he runs a doctor's office. He probably has all those newspapers sent to his waiting room. Do you think in doctor's offices they want a newspaper that says like local hitman caught killed 10 people as like their front page story? Daniel, they don't get to like pick if they just get the metro section or they get the whole paper. Like this is 2000, man. Like, you know, people were still getting newspapers and stuff back then. I feel like if I had the option between newspaper and like a reader's digest or like, I don't know, the New York Times cross a puzzle to have in my waiting room, I probably would not choose the newspaper that talks about a Chicago contract killer. But that's just well, me. I mean, he probably also got highlights in National Geographic, but you just get newspapers. That's fine. This He's is- also friends with the with the guy at the newspaper too. Oh yeah, that's right. He's friends with a guy who works for the trip. Yeah. yeah. I forgot about that entire plot because they dropped that like 40 minutes in. Surprisingly <laughs> Chicago movie, which I've seen this movie before and I wasn't living in Chicago at the time. So I didn't really think of it as a Chicago movie, but he does spend, you know, like a third of the movie in uh, my new home here. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. I looked up the Oyster Bar, does not exist anymore. It closed several <laughs> years ago, but it was a real place at one point. You know, speaking of Chicago, I heard a fun fact. That this is the first mainstream American movie to ever be filmed in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but I love like the way that they film some of those scenes. It reminds me of like a Richard Linklater movie, like before Sunset or something, where they just walk around Europe. In this movie, they just like walk around random parts of like near the water. Like towards the end, they have that scene where the main characters are all just kind of walking down steps and going to like this nice looking like body of water. And it's just a very beautiful movie. Um, yeah. But then you have the scenes like in like the suburbs, which are just, you know, classic late 90s suburban looking areas. Yeah, not a lot of like stuff going on. It's like very quiet and like the mise-en-scene if you will uh like a lot of these like wide shots but nothing's really in them except for like a house or a car or something it looks like that late 90s kind of like truman showy aesthetic shines through here a lot yeah uh also uh the tulip is such a good nickname for a hitman i was thinking about that i was wondering like how many passes that went through and like before they landed on tulip but it's uh it's so good it's like there's a bunch of little details like 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 what Garrett was saying, like the digs, at like the mayonnaise and stuff, but also like having like a kind of fleshed out hitman character too. a good hitman nickname is like something that's like innocent or like beautiful, but then made scary. And Tulip is perfect. And Bruce Willis just plays him so very well. And I was thinking about this more like this time watching it. I'd seen it a long time ago, too, and, it was, and I've always loved it. But this time thinking about it in kind of the context of Bruce Willis's career and obviously with the difficult news that's come out recently about him and he had just come off of The Sixth Sense going into this movie. Oh shit. The wow. Sixth Sense came out in 1999 and Bruce Willis like before that, you know, he's obviously a more macho character and then he gets this softness with The Sixth Sense and that's carried in here. He's like very soft spoken. He he doesn't get like over the top at all. He's just very 
within himself and they're like but you killed 17 people and he was like yeah you know (laughs) have you guys ever seen that john mulaney bit about the jinx where he's like he's like you'll watch the jinx this guy's killed three people and you'll watch it and you'll go i like this guy i like this guy and that's kind of like bruce willis is so likable and i really like how many times like someone is like he's killed 17 people and everyone's like nah it's fine i like it it's is actually kind of a nice you know dynamic of both him and matthew perry of like people are supposed to hate jimmy because he killed people and everyone's like nah we like him and then people are supposed to kill matthew perry but they're like no we just like this guy we're not going to and so yeah it's a nice little uh you know reflection there i did enjoy how whenever he told anyone he was a dentist they got like really annoyed at him sort of or also (laughs) like quoting random facts at him about like how depressed dentists were yeah like little site like running gag they had throughout the movie uh but yeah it, it, it was kind of fun to have like matthew perry just he's the main character but he basically has almost absolutely no effect on the entire plot of the whole movie except for i guess probably I, I, I mean, telling people the information he knows, probably like, you know, talking to Kevin Pollack about Bruce Willis, talking to Bruce Willis about the plot against him. But even that, like Michael Clark Duncan already knew about it. So he was going to tell Bruce Willis anyway. He knocks the domino over and then he just sort of is along for the ride for the most part, which that's good because that is I mean, this is like one of Matthew Perry's most Matthew Perry in roles of all time. Like the, the scene where he comes in and Bruce Willis is waiting for him and he he turns around and tries to run away and immediately like runs into uh, Michael Clark Duncan and falls over and knocks the lamp over. <laughs> the, the one, the part where the, he like is running and he slams into the screen door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, there's not enough movies with just gags like that. Just yeah, pure oh. physical comedy of like having nothing to do with the plot. It's just somebody running into something. Yeah, I, I have a I have a Matthew Perry. Uh, physical comedy take which is anyone can look funny falling over matthew perry looks very funny when he stands back up yes Uh, interesting because he he slams into stuff and then he does this thing where he like looks up and like is like startled by his own injury in a very funny way he does nail that um i also like the scene where um he's like brushing his teeth after he throws up and just like takes like a mouthwash and just downs like a fourth of the bottle and like it was a very like weird idea like they basically like have him just brushing his teeth and like going through the whole routine for like a minute and a half while he's talking to natasha henstridge in his like hotel room it was a very i was kind of like focusing on that i was like why are they focusing on him doing this so much but i guess it was just so he could look silly while he i'm curious is so I know that he had his very severe pill addiction, like between seasons three and six of Friends. And this is at the, this is during the hiatus of season six. So is he like right in the thick of it at this point, like nearing rock bottom? I'm not totally sure. I don't know. He's like doing all of this physical, like over the top stuff and just slamming into stuff. So I imagine it's like, oh, he's like just he, not he's even remembering right it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I don't, I don't know if i know the exact like timeline of when all that was happening uh which hopefully we'll find out when his autobiography comes out at the end of the year (laughs) yes which we will be covering yeah (laughs) definitely one of the better matthew perry performances i've seen probably i'd say it was just very fun just the constant just matthew perry confused by everything vibe is pretty funny it works for him and every other character played off him very well he's really in the pocket in this movie it's like right in his comfort zone right over the heart to the plate very easy role for him to play he really shines as just like a guy sort of panicking all the time but you still kind of like him and also they like make him like multiple times throughout the movie people will ask him to take a drink and he always like turns him down and then they force him to take a drink pretty much and it's just part of his like weird socially awkward shtick of being like completely nervous the whole movie that was very fun and even yet like it still kind of makes sense that natasha hemstridge leaves the hotel but then comes back because she just likes him so much yeah he's just he's just charming enough he's not like such a hap even though he is one well yeah like that and that's the thing with matthew perry is he plays these like two different kinds of characters where he like and he's always better as like like a 
charming, lovable, but like hapless loser. And that's like a big problem with Studio 60 is that he's supposed to be this like genius writer who everyone loves and respects. And it's like, no, he has to play someone who is sort of down on his luck, but someone you want to root for. This movie wouldn't work if he had like an extremely successful like dentist, you know, practice, or if he was like trying to protect his wife who loved him from a hitman or something. It only works if everyone is like sort of out to get him and then just kind of lets it slide because they're just like, yeah, what are you going to do? We love this guy, you know? Also, it's like the people that are out to get him are so over the top bad and silly bad that it's like, oh, well, obviously we love Matthew Perry too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they exactly. seem against a bunch of cartoonish villains and we're just like, who are you going to root for, you know? Yeah, uh, but I just wanted to assert that he is still not the most charismatic, charming presence in the movie. Amanda Peet is definitely oh. the most charismatic, charming presence in the movie. She makes the movie. The turn when like they knock on Bruce Willis's door and she's like, I've always like wanted to be a contract killer. <laughs> That's when it really takes off and just like ascends into an actually really, really great memorable movie. Amanda Peet is so good in everything she does. And I feel like she's never gotten like what was due to her, you know, like this, this woman should have like a thousand Emmys. She's fucking incredible. Um, and like, she's great in everything and things that she's in people recognize as great, but I just, I don't know. She's, I, she's never had her like, you know, bona fide movie star moment in a way that she really did. I do have a take about that. And it's because she looks too much like Hillary Swank, who just got all of the <laughs> uh, dramatic roles that win Oscars instead of her. That is very true. It's like how uh, Isla Fisher only gets movies that Amy Adams rejects. Yeah. And <laughs> or they both signs are in the same movie together as a bit. Um, they're nocturnal animals which is like which basically calls out how much they look the same like because uh amy adams is play is like reading a book about herself but in the portrayed version of the book isla fisher plays her wait what movie is this nocturnal animals the i've Tom never Ford heard of movie mm-hmm. yeah the designer the Tom Ford, the designer who is played by uh, Reeve Carney in House of Gucci. <laughs> Ford in House of Gucci? I guess that makes sense, but I love that casting. <laughs> yeah, Reeve Carney of, of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. I know him from Penny Dreadful only, I think. <laughs> He's also in Town on Broadway, which uh, is one of my favorite musicals. I still haven't seen that. I heard great things, though. Oh, yeah, but Amanda Peet, like the um, the one scene like where she fought, like twist her, like she basically falls down and like twists her ankle was not scripted and they just like the take so much because I guess like you know she recovers very well from it kind of like a Matthew Perry sort of stand up physical comedy take when she like falls and twists her ankle it was pretty funny and you know she kind of like gets back up has like that sort of like weird smile on her face again and just continues the movie that was kind of a fun I read that too and I was sort of like that would have been such a weird scene if there wasn't a little gag at the end of it you know (laughs) like if it was just like yeah she's great she's gonna be a great hitman a lot of potential and then it just cuts to her walking away normally like it it needed the joke so i'm glad she fell and hurt her ankle because it really made that scene yes i'm also glad she fell and hurt her ankle she's just so magnetic in this role it's so funny yeah you both buy her as like someone who wants to be like like a killer but then like the like sort of puppy dogness in her eyes of just like oh my god i'm meeting like jimmy the tulip this is incredible oh man what a frankly a better movie would have been a movie about like a very excitable like up-and-coming contract killer who takes a job at a dentist to try to do her first contract kill and then decides that she likes him too much instead like amanda peach should have been you know you could make a million movies about amanda amanda peach's character from this it's so good yeah it's too bad that the cinematic universe of the whole yards did not turn out to be anything beyond the sequel i mean we'll we'll have you back for the sequel whenever we recover it but have you guys seen the whole 10 yards no No. i read the wiki Wikipedia page last night and it looked terrible. It's not like ideal, but you never yeah. know. Um, it's like it was. It was like of that era, though, where like studio comedies would get sequels. Like analyze this with Robert De Niro got a sequel. It did. Like, yeah, an- analyze that. Oh my god! I was gonna ask if it was called analyze that. <laughs> I feel like they only made it for that reason. 
I was so I watched this movie when I was uh, uh high a uh, whole nine yards and I fell asleep probably about like with maybe 20 minutes left in the movie or so I'd say but I, I was like in and out the whole time so it's possible I like watched the whole thing but I fell asleep and I woke up and it was like this kind of like sort of serious looking man it was like a sort of comedy was occurring I was like that was not like Bruce Willis at all that looks like I don't know Robert De Niro or something and then I looked at my screen and it turned out I was like 40 minutes into the movie Analyze List. <laughs> <laughs> but movies have a similar tone apparently so it makes sense yeah. they both got sequels in that world it's, you know why they don't make uh, sequels for studio comedies anymore because now you see me too wasn't called now you don't yeah that was the worst movie one's ever made for a sequel to a movie the first one pretty good though uh, one twist too many for me like it doesn't make any sense that mark ruffalo was in on it no 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 i mean but the it's an ultimate like airplane movie where it's like very engrossing but also dumb so you can like pay attention to it but then if you like uh like flight attendant gives you a drink and you miss like two minutes of it it won't fucking matter at all it's it's a perfect like sort of half watching movie now you see me i've never seen uh now you see me too uh but i imagine uh, i've seen now you see me too it is terrible the scene that i've seen the one where they like are throwing the card around the vault yeah. that's in the second one right i honestly don't even remember because uh, that's like those, on like, like tiktok all the time where it's just like in those like tick like robot lady voice where it's like they are hiding the card <laughs> That's like when uh, in Wanted, where James McAvoy shoots the bullet all the way around and it kills everyone. Oh, yeah. oh that scene. That, yeah. yeah. Wait, or was that Angelina Jolie? It was Angelina Jolie did it. Yeah. And it makes, spoiler for Wanted, it makes no sense that she would do it that way. And I, I still don't understand how the bullet curving works, but she ends up killing herself by doing Right. <laughs> right. It's all coming back to me now. Oh. They, uh, they proved you couldn't curve the bullet on Mythbusters, which, you know, all of the movie Wanted. Wanted and uh, proving the movie wanted wrong on Mythbusters is a very dated sentence. <laughs> I can't imagine they would have to even need to prove the movie wanted wrong. Like, well, they like they figured out that you could do it with like a long enough barrel, but it would have to be like, you know, like 40 yards long or something like that. So then it's like by then, I mean, just fucking shoot the guy normally. <laughs> it, wait, and wanted was the premise that they had guns that could curve bullets or that they no, just... No, 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 no. It was the flick of the wrist. So they oh, would, that's like, okay. They would flick the wrist really. Yeah, yeah. So they would like shoot people by like, and um, this is a audio medium. So people aren't going to, but like they would hold their hand like behind themselves, like swing it around. So then like, you know, like when you bowl, if you ever watch like bowling, they like curve their wrists and then the bowling ball like goes right up to the gutter and then comes back around and hits a strike. They uh, just applied that logic to firearms essentially and then made a whole fucking movie out of it who do you think you are i am bang <laughs> i would i would watch a movie where the assassins are bowlers who all just throw bowling balls at their targets to that feels them. like a like a like a simpsons arcade level it does <laughs> Uh, no, Wanted is a great movie. No notes. Um. Uh, I do have one uh, to, to return to the whole nine yards. I do have one plot question, which sure. I'm confused on. So they go like your your comment about like things that don't make sense. I, like they go and they do this whole convoluted thing with the teeth with Bruce Willis. Uh -huh. They make him have the teeth records of the cop who. No, no. They make the cop have the teeth records right. of Bruce Willis. Right. So then they put the cop in the car with the other body and they like engulf it so then it looks like Bruce Willis is dead but then they come into the house and then there's another dead body who is that dead body it's um the guy who because it is don't they, they it's uh um Kevin Pollock isn't it I thought Kevin Pollock was in the car they, they were like oh they they were both in the car together and they died wait then what's the other dead body you're talking about in the house where they like in the house there's in. another dead body wait at what point no wait wait Kevin Pollock is in the house house right and then the other dead body is the other detective I, what do they what do they I do with the detective they kill <laughs> I, I thought that they i thought that they put him on fire with with kevin pollock yeah and then they were like oh jimmy the tulip and kevin pollock were like engulfed in flames in the car then after that they go into the house and there's another body on the ground and they're like oh like is is the other body just one of um kevin pollock's henchmen yeah because they kill them also yeah they, yeah, they are like there are a couple henchmen that 
get killed. So I think that that might just be it. I watched this movie like literally two hours ago and I don't even remember. <laughs> like I don't remember this. Like I remember this part, but I don't remember who the bodies are. Yeah. Well, it's it's way past the point of like making any sense anyway. So I just kind of overlook it and yeah. I don't really care. It's really funny. Yeah. The last 15 minutes of this movie after they like switch the teeth out and then like it's I don't really care about the like getting to the bank and getting the movie. It it feels like, you know, you had to like tie up all those loose ends and like, you know, make sure everyone walks away with money and everyone wins. But after everyone gets shot and then they, you know, burn the bodies, it's kind of like, let's bring this thing home. The very unnecessary killing of Michael Clark Duncan, who has been nothing but charming the entire movie. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That makes no sense to me that they would end the movie by having this weird twist that he wants to kill Matthew Perry and they have to kill him. And in fact, when I first watched this movie when I was high, I woke up at the point where Bruce Willis points, picks the gun up to either kill one of them and then kills Michael Clark Duncan. I was like, what the fuck was that for? Like, it made no sense to me then. And I rewatched it and found this and they had, saw the scene where they talk about how they need to kill Matthew Perry. And I was still like, that makes no sense. They basically just wanted him out so he wouldn't be in the sequel. Yeah. But apparently in the sequel, it's like his daughter who plays like the Jill role and is like a double agent against Matthew Perry. I don't know. I haven't what? seen it. That I- sounds <laughs> insane. I'm, oh. I'm excited to bring you back on whenever we decide to finally get around to doing the whole 10 yards. Um, God, that, yeah. I, I already hate that movie based on that plot. Just <laughs> Michael Clark looking again. He was great. He was one of the, he and Mandy the best part of the movie. The whole 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. Oof. What did this the, movie have on Rotten Tomatoes? Well, the whole nine does not have a very good rating. 43. Which I don't really get. It's like, it's it's just so silly and funny. Roger Ebert, though, gave it one of its only like very good ratings, I think. That's funny. I can believe that. I can sort of see why this movie did not get the best ratings, but I also can see why it would have. I mean, I think it's one of those things where yeah, if people don't buy into it, like just the idea of silly hitmen, then they're just not going to like the whole movie at all. But it's charming enough that it's like if you're going to the theater to watch this because it's 2000 and you can't just sit and watch it on HBO Max or whatever. Right. Like it's a perfectly enjoyable hour and 40 minutes. It's like a great day at the movies. You know, I would in in the year 2000, I was probably a little too young to watch this movie, but it reminds me of like going to like after after high school, um, there was a movie theater that was walking distance from my high school and you would we were just watch movies based on like, oh, does the sh- like does does the start of the movie line up with when we can like take the 15 minute walk? And so we would watch movies just whatever was on on a Thursday at like 4 p.m. and not really give a shit about what the movie was and this movie really reminds me of that era of my life of just being like oh I've heard nothing about it but Bruce Willis is in it let's check it out and then walking out with like a couple of my like 15 year old or 16 year old friends being like pretty good that was pretty good that was a fun time you know yeah yeah just, just a good time at the movies this movie came out in February also which I feel like was sort of a not a good move on its part probably it feels yeah, like more of a late spring movie to me yeah the February is typically where they sort of like dump their crap right like that's that tends to be the scheduling month. Yeah, and it came out the same weekend as Pitch Black, the Chronicles of Riddick first movie. Uh, wow, two great movies came in, coming out the same weekend. What won the box office the week that this movie came out? Whole nine yards, but just barely. Really? Interesting. It won by $205,000 against the movie Hanging Up, which was a movie, I guess, Diane Keaton directed uh, based on like a book uh, that looks like Nora Ephron family involved. It does have that... Nora Ephron font. Every Nora Ephron movie has the same font <laughs> poster. <laughs> that heavy serif, you know what I'm talking about? And you're like, oh, that's a Nora Ephron movie. She's single-handedly keeping that font in business. <laughs> and, and guess who's in Hanging Up? Lisa Kudrow. Oh, wow. Ooh, that's fun. There Little... was one article that week that was like, Kudrow versus Perry. Which friend star is going to win the box office? And well, yeah, Especially during that time, Perry definitely had more of the the pull. I don't think it was Perry that had the pull on this movie. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm talking in a vacuum, just him versus Lisa Kudrow in the year 2000. That's gonna you're gonna you're gonna give that one to Matthew Perry any any day. Are you? Yeah, I feel like as far as like who 
were the bigger like stars. Like Lisa Kudrow was sort of the wacky, you know, sixth friend. Matthew Perry was one of the main characters outside <laughs> of Rob and Rachel, who you did the sixth one. Okay, okay, okay. But like, okay, friends. so Friends, friends, friends. Is, hear me out, hear me out. <laughs> friends is about Ross and Rachel, who you hate. They like, who gives a shit? And so Monica, um, Chandler, and Joey become the people you're like rooting for, and like they have the they get the interesting plot lines. And then Lisa Kudrow, uh, Phoebe, is like the wacky neighbor, even though she's part of the main six. So he is the most. He has the at least second or third most star power of the six friends in the year 2000. That's that's my take. I do think that he was the one who everyone assumed would take off, and he kept making movies like the whole nine yards to try to, and it just like kept fizzling, and he just had to go back to network TV. Yeah, and that also kept fizzling. <laughs> but Lisa Kudrow, meanwhile, was in like a bunch of like I mean nothing like huge, but a lot of critically acclaimed movies in the late 90s. Yeah, she was an indie darling, but she didn't have like you know like huge like box office appeal in the same way that that's what Matthew Perry was doing at the time. But she also won an Emmy and was nominated for like a bunch of other Emmys before Matthew Perry was even nominated for Friends. He was not nominated until like 2002, and she won at least before then, like way before. Yeah, but I'm still right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think if anything, Whole Nine Yards is the movie that pushed Matthew Perry as trying to be like a big movie star. It was supposed to be his big vehicle. I feel like a lot of forces at the time were trying to make Matthew Perry a star, not just him. You know, it, like like what Garrett was saying, there people gave him a million chances to do this. Yeah, but I feel like this movie's success hinged on Bruce Willis entirely. Oh, sure. Yeah, I mean, he's top of the poster for sure. But, you know, it's like, oh, isn't it fun? We put a friends in this movie. We put a friend yeah. in here. We put a friend. This is, though, in like that era of Matthew Perry, too, where like every friend's hiatus, like he would be in one of these movies. Fools rush in, almost heroes, three to tango. Almost Heroes is a movie I discovered existed after watching the whole nine yards because it auto played the trailer for Almost Heroes. Insane movie. I am very excited for us to talk about that one day. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about with that movie for sure because it's insane the entirety of its existence and who's behind it. Uh, but yeah, Matthew Perry, they really tried so hard with him, even though Jennifer Aniston was like right there the whole time to be like the big friends star. She's really the only one who made it of, I guess, Courtney, all the women did okay. And all the men... The thing with Aniston is that everyone was so obsessed with her marriage to Brad Pitt that it like completely overshadowed her actual chops as an actor, which are pretty good. Like she can carry any type of movie. The breakup is actually quite charming and funny with Vince Vaughn. Uh, the one with Clive Owen. Du- uh, hmm, I forget what it's called, but it's actually pretty good. Uh, I don't remember which one that one is. They're on a train, du- like Duplicity or something. Oh, I hate that movie. Wait, she's she's in Duplicity? Isn't that someone else uh and clive owen movies confused oh she's no, you're totally right it's uh julia roberts so you're gonna have to cut that part out of podcast oh have you seen <laughs> derailed is that what you're talking about oh uh, yeah okay yeah i'm all those clive owen d movies get so confusing after a while <laughs> Oh, yes. No, it was with Clive Owen and Jennifer Aniston. I watched that movie when I was like, when it came out when I was 12 years old or something. And I actually thought it was pretty good. It's a weird cast because it's them and then it's uh, Giancarlo Esposito, David Morrissey, RZA, and Exhibit. (laughs) Vincent Cassell. Vincent Cassell. And it's set in Chicago. Yeah, with the trains. They're on a train. Yeah. I love the train part. Uh, It's also the first movie. Oh, wow. I love this fact. It's the first movie to be released by the Weinstein Company. <laughs> how did they pull that one off as being the first one? And how do they keep going? Because I sure that movie did not do well. Yeah, but, you know, he just had enough money back then where he could have a few stinkers before he became... You know, I have, like, almost entirely stinkers once he be- yeah. has a company. Because it was basically just a bunch of movies that they would just throw away from that did not do well at the box office. Yeah. Derailed only has a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes. I haven't seen it since I was, like, 13. And I liked everything when I I was 13 so i might have to revisit that Ooh, speaking of which uh, sort of an unrelated uh conversation topic but we're sort of de- speaking of being derailed um do you remember the first movie you ever watched where you realized movies could be bad because like i feel like 13 is right around when you start being like hmm wait i don't think i enjoyed that oh yes i do home on the range the disney movie with the cows oh yeah where he sings won't back down a lot <laughs> what <laughs> right 
are we thinking about the same movie? He like no, I'm thinking of Barnyard. Uh, what's Home on the Range about? Uh, cows. Um, and it 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 Roseanne is the main cow. <laughs> And like, there's just like, I don't even remember what the plot is, but it just was terrible. I I haven't seen that one since it came out in 2004. Damn. Jennifer Tilly, Judy Dench, Roseanne Barr, Cuba Gooding Jr., Estelle Harris, Randy Quaid, and Steve Buscemi. What an insane cast. I love those animated movies that can just cast anyone they want to. And it's like just 10 names that would never, ever actually work together on something live action. But because it's animated and they get, you know, $100,000 for two lines, they'll all just do it without any care in the world. And they outsource all the VFX to like non-union labor who's worked to the bone. So the, the actual movie costs like $2 and then casting all the lines costs like $30 million. God. Just looking at the poster, like I, I have no memory of this movie ever existing but just looking at the poster you can really tell that it's like a oh we're just gonna make a quick cheap you know animated movie and put a lot of stars in it because the poster looks like shit (laughs) it's just a really unappealing art uh, direction and also the tagline is bust a moo pisses me off the tagline is in bigger font than the name of the movie That era of Disney movies was really bad. Brother Bear was around oh, that Brother time. Bear sucks. Ugh, just, just total crap. Yeah. They really, uh, so, weirdly enough, I'm pretty sure the first movie of mine that I realized movies could be bad was Duplicity. <laughs> <laughs> The one with the Julia Roberts one, not yes. the not derailed, which also might be bad, but I remember liking. It's probably amazing. Who's to say? But Duplicity is the first movie I remember actually turning off when I was watching it because I just did not enjoy what was happening. What is Duplicity about? I've never it's about seen... people who are duplicitous toward each other. Okay, so like I know what that word means, but like if you want to explain it for our guest, you know, just to be polite, it's romantic comedy about like two spies who. Try try to carry out a complicated con it's just basically like a bunch of like it's just kind of like a lot of i mean it's like sort of kind of like this movie or big nothing where it's just a bunch of twists happening halfway through where it's like oh this person actually is bad now or this person's behind this the whole time just a bunch of that shit but for some reason i just could not get through it and i'm pretty sure part of the reason why was because they try to do it like in a non-chronological order oh so it's sort of like a trying to be like pulp fiction or something where it's like oh there's all this stuff happening we don't know what time frame it i mean i don't know i think they maybe explain the time frame but it's just kind of gets confusing gets really annoying and also it's two hours long that's a little bit long for this type of movie i feel like two know. hours is not that long for a movie and someone who just watched a movie that was an hour 38 two minutes ago which was this movie whole nine yards two hours is way too long sure um the first movie i ever remember watching that i realized was bad was i i saw star wars episode two in theaters twice and the second time i saw it i saw it with a friend and we were just sort of sitting in the back making fun of it and i was like does this movie suck like because you know when you're like 13 or whatever you make fun of everything but i was like man we're being really harsh to this movie even though that's like our whole thing is we make fun of stuff because we're 13 year old boys but at one point i was like i think this might be actually bad and i didn't know movies could be bad especially star wars how could they make a bad star wars and then i rewatched episode one which came out in 1999 so i was way too young to realize it was bad um and i rewatched that i'm like oh my god do all of these movies suck and the answer is yes there aren't any good star wars movies rogue one just gonna try and slip that one by there brandon Yeah, episode one has a few redeeming things. The worst movie in the entire thing is the ninth one, The yes. Rise of Skywalker. That's the worst. Oh, yeah, that's I just not even worth watching. I just yeah. after Force Awakens, I just stopped. I guess I saw Rogue One, but I stopped following the like numbered movies. And the one-offs are fine. A Solo Story wasn't very good, but you it's knew it wasn't going to be good getting into it. Um, yeah, they just they really can't crack that egg for some reason. Another very random movie that i remember watching early that i really hated spy kids 3d oh, oh man the first two great the third one very very poor something i like about spy kids 3d there's a period of time where elijah woods uh wikipedia page said he's an american actor best known for his portrayal as the guy in spy kids 3d game over <laughs> and frodo baggins and i always thought that that was very funny but someone has someone has fixed it so that's Aww. not his 
his first credited role. That sucks. First place I ever knew him from. Yeah. I don't remember anything about Spy Kids 3D. I do remember hating 3D movies as a kid. I was very afraid of 3D movies. I don't really know why. And then I also, do you guys, did you guys go to like a lot of museums and like go to like IMAX educational movies when you were a kid? Yes. The Baltimore Aquarium, I think, had an IMAX that was in 4D. And so like when a like a fish jumped out of the water, they would like spray water in your face and like an eel would like swim at your face and then like your seat would vibrate and shit. Oh, I hated that. That was so scary. I still will not go to those kind of movies now. And I'm like a grown ass man. I'm just like, nah, I'm too scary. Have you been to a 4DX movie? I have. I went to go see one of the Fast and Furious in a 4DX. The only 4DX experience that I've ever had was seeing First Man, the Ryan Gosling, <laughs> Neil Armstrong movie. Okay. And the timing was off. So like... <laughs> his whole rocket stuff would be just like totally still and then like the next scene would be like a family dinner and then it would just be like shaking everyone <laughs> eventually they they came in and they turned it off and gave us a free ticket to the another 40x movie and i just never went to another one oh my god <laughs> it's like yeah. If someone had did, done that on purpose, I would have been like, "Yeah, that's a great bit. That's very funny." <laughs> I because I I'm I, the movie is fine. I like parts of the movie, but it's pretty boring. So just having that added unpredictability of it would be very fun. I actually really like that movie. It's got a great score. I'm a big Damien Chazelle head. A real La La Land defender over here. Oh, I'm La La defender as well. I think it's his worst of the big three Damien movies, though. First what Man, are First Man is not a La La Land. Uh, uh, Whiplash is the other one Whiplash, I'm, yeah wow i've not seen any of these movies his new one good. his new one coming out has like everybody in it it's gonna be like four and a half hours long it looks like his real michael chimino moment coming up here soon but i'm still <laughs> gonna go and have a great time coming out on christmas day yeah babylon a movie called babylon you know is just gonna be totally up its own ass <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a movie called Babylon that isn't like about Babylonians. <laughs> you could just you just know. What, do you know do you know what the movie is about? I think it like old Hollywood. So oh, yeah. It's basically winning every Oscar then. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. gonna say she automatic best picture winner. Hollywood loves to give awards to movies about Hollywood. Yeah, except for Mank. Uh robbed. Not really. It was no. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It was it was not I didn't like Mank that much. Hollywood doesn't like to give Oscars to movies about American dentists living in Canada. Canada <laughs> living next to a uh, did this a, win anything let me let me nah, check I feel I think it won I think it won a couple teen choice awards I could imagine that definitely yeah. I could see it winning like best action movie or something uh let me see oh it got it got some okay it got some banners here okay first off once again prove my point Michael Clark Duncan should have been in the sequel it was nominated for the blockbuster entertainment awards for favorite supporting actor and favorite supporting actor for comedy romance for Michael Clark Duncan and Amanda Peet. Uh, Choice Liar uh, at the Teen Choice Awards, Amanda Peet was a nomination and Choice Hissy Fit, Rosanna Arquette. Yeah, Choice Hissy Fit. That was the one I was thinking of. I, I remember seeing that, which is just the, shut up, Team Choice Awards. Not a real award. And then whatever the hell the Stinker Awards are, which seem like a sort of a Razzies type, they gave this a most annoying fake accent nomination for Rosanna Arquette. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Pollock's is is also bad but he only tries it for a little bit the yimmy part is just that's oh god yeah i feel like they've made a point to shoot kevin pollock like in his neck to just damage his vocal cords again to shut up yeah <laughs> also can we talk about how when he was dying like they had all those flies around because like they because the movie had a film in these houses that were just infested with flies the whole time and they just decided to make that part of the lore of the house yeah i i was wondering when watching it i was like oh the flies are like like, you know, it's like because they're all they're all, you know, everyone's a corpse eventually. And they added these flies in. But no, it's just because the houses had a bunch of flies and they're like, whatever, we'll just leave the flies in. It was so funny because it seemed like Kevin Pollock is dying. He looks so annoyed by the fly. He's more annoyed by the fly than the, he is at dying. 
Yeah, that's also some good Matthew Perry work when there's the fly and he just does his like thing where he like <laughs> shakes around a lot. That's he's so good at just moving his head rapidly and very quickly. And then Bruce Willis sucks a fly in and then spits it out at one point. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> it was so funny. I love that scene. Yeah. Uh, and then speaking of the Bruce Willis comedy, the scene where when he's in his briefcases and when he's moving in and he just throws his briefcase through his window because he's really mad and you just hear the classic window breaking uh, sound effect when he does that. That was very funny. And also, I was like, this movie had no budget. Also, uh, talking about classic things, this movie does one of my favorite things that movies do, which is when two guys enter a room and they are familiar with each other and they act very cold and they're like, it's been a while. And then they smile and start laughing and hug each other. <laughs> and it's just like, I love that. I love that because it's like, first of all, that has never happened in the history of the world. How would you like coordinate a bit with someone you hadn't seen in a long time but i just it's such a fun like it gets me every time where i'm just like that's the movies baby we're doing movie things one of my favorite uh, uh movie tropes ever yeah it seems like everyone just in this movie knew they were in a movie the whole time based on the way they it's react. a very movie movie yeah but in the best way like you you want to you you want to watch a movie every now and then that's just like yeah this is this is fucking the movies man we're all having a good time you can hear every actor on this movie on like letterman just being like ah, it was so much fun. We we were playing jokes on each other on set the whole time. You're like, yeah, it's one of those kinds of movies. Oh, yeah. And Bruce Willis just like, well, they gave me $20 million to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, he he's like one of the most popular actors in the world, like for that whole you know era. I mean, one of the most popular movies in Sixth Sense had just come out. Um, Unbreakable next up, pretty much. This movie actually started a rumor that he had lost a bet on the set of this movie at, to appear on, and he. So the rumor is that he lost a bet to Matthew Perry on the set of the whole Nine Yards, and then he appears on Friends for free. And it's not true. He did get paid to be on Friends, uh, but he donated his salary um, which I think is unrelated to the whole bet thing but maybe that's where the rumor started yeah it's possible that was he had to donate his salary yeah um, and this is some organizations too also one other thing I want to bring up we have a running thing where every time that we have like a ratio of number of movies or TV shows we cover that Matthew Perry says a gay joke in them and right now we're pretty much one to one and Matthew Perry has a sort of gay thing he says in this movie where when they're talking about his father-in-law going to jail I guess right and they're like saying like oh he like had he like would I guess like knock out patients he would like uh, sexually harass and like assault patients or whatever and then at one point they say like including a male patient and Matthew Perry yeah. says it like in disgust <laughs> yeah I was, I was I was when that scene happened I was thinking I was like oh we have once again hit our quota of Matthew Perry making a slightly homophobic joke in every single thing he does yes it's a requirement I think he has it on his like contract writer probably uh, <laughs> but yeah so any anything else we want to talk about with this movie? Yeah, any any notes that uh, anyone hasn't gotten to or final thoughts before we move on to our next segment? Nope. All right. We want to do the game first or the review first? Uh let's 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 rate it and then, you know, we'll we'll play your game next. So I am uh so how this works is we'll go around and we will rate this movie. Uh, you know, you can give any final thoughts you want, um, and then you'll rate it on a scale of the whole zero yards to the whole nine yards. Daniel, do you want to go first and then Garrett and then I'll, I'll finish things up? Sure. So I like this movie a lot. I had a couple issues just with the plot being sort of a little too chaotic, not making too much sense. Um, it was still fun, but I did. I feel like the script maybe could have used a little bit more of a slight rewrite here and there. But that seems like a very common late 90s, early 2000s romantic or silly comedy sort of vibe to it, where part of the script just feels like it's useless and they just had to put it in there like the last 15 minutes of the movie pretty much to wrap things up. And then the rest of it's just either that I don't like is like exposition, but overall I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. I would give it a whole seven yards. Nice. Garrett? I think that this movie is just so rewatchable. It's so charming. And it's like, like you said, the actors are just having so much fun and you can just feel that. I have to, I have to take a whole yard off for Michael Clark Duncan unnecessarily being killed. So right. I, I think that this movie is uh, a whole eight yards out of nine. I am going to, uh, agree with both of you and i think i i want to like saying that it's good not not that i know you guys gave it two different numbers (laughs) uh 
Uh, and I'm going to split the difference. And I'm going to say it's not a hole in a yard. It's seven and a half yards. Wow. Seven and a half yards, which if you put it into feet is 22 and a half feet. Uh, okay. You can, you can cut that. <laughs> which, the reason why I'm saying that is because our game segment, I'm going to have Brandon and Garrett guess whether or not and something that I mentioned is less than the whole nine yards, the whole nine yards exactly, or more than a whole nine yards. <laughs> <laughs> when you told me that your game idea was very stupid, <laughs> I guess I didn't believe you. <laughs> okay. Right. Um, is this going to be buzz in or are we going to take turns? Let's say buzz in. With- okay. 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 So first up, a yardstick. Okay, Brandon. So my my choices are the whole nine yards, more than the whole nine yards, or less than the whole nine yards. So a yardstick is less than the whole nine yards. That is correct. Brandon has one point. Next up, <laughs> uh, the length of a telephone pole. Bzz. Brandon. That is more than the whole nine yards. That is correct because telephone poles are between 30 and 60 feet and 30 feet is over nine yards. I'm so good at this game. <laughs> Next up, the height of the Hollywood sign. Garrett. Uh, More than the whole nine yards. That is correct. The Hollywood sign is apparently 49 feet. Next up, four pieces of lumber combined. Brandon. Uh, Exactly the whole nine yards? No, 32 feet. So that's more than the whole nine yards. Brandon loses (laughs) a point. Wait, I lose a point? You lose two points for questioning me on that. Oh my god. <laughs> the length of a two-car garage. Bzz, Garrett. Less than the whole nine yards. That is correct. The length of a two-car garage, 25 feet, which is... Alright, uh, what's the score right now? Do we know? It Well, if I actually lost two points, you it's... You don't lose two points. You lose one point. Okay, okay. Then it's tied up. It's two tied to up. two. Alright, we got a final one for the, all the... All the... For the whole 90 yards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the length of a London bus. Brandon. Less than the whole nine yards. Brandon, that is incorrect. Okay, Garrett, if you can guess if it's either equal or more than nine yards, then you get all of Brandon's points. I have to say, because it's, I think it's equal to the whole nine yards. So the length of a London bus is 27.5 feet, which is just slightly over nine <laughs> yards. But, <laughs> but since that is approximate estimate, I would take either equal to or over whole nine yards. So Garrett wins. All right, there we go. Congratulations, Garrett. Thank you very much. And that has been the whole nine yards, colon, the game. Um, all right. You want to wrap things up here? Give people yeah. some some suggestions of what to watch and whether Matthew Perry can fit in them or not? Let's do it. I can go ahead and start us off. Sure, because I forgot what I was going to suggest. <laughs> I saw the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once recently, which is a great movie, you know, about stuff happening. Won't say any details because it's a lot of spoiler stuff in there. But really good movie. I also saw it and thought it was good. Nice. Yeah. Very enjoyable movie. Liked it a lot. Got really high before I saw it. I'm sure that helped a little bit, probably. Uh, Just as a side note, we should probably stop getting super stoned and wa- when we watch movies with a guest. It just... <laughs> you and I both talking about how we weren't paying attention to this movie. Maybe <laughs> we should be more polite. <laughs> <laughs> In my defense, I rewatched it again when I was sober, this movie. So I did as well, but still. <laughs> uh, sorry, continue. Okay, uh, so I think that the uh, role for Matthew Perry in this movie, there's a very obvious choice. I could say Jamie Lee Curtis. He could play Jamie Lee Curtis uh, in this movie, who she plays like a was like IRS agent who checks their taxes. Uh, but instead, I think Matthew Perry would be really good as the sort of creepy, weird guy at the laundromat who is kind of just annoying. I don't know. He's sort of like, I forget if he hits on anyone. I was too high. I can remember that. But he's very like, um, he's just kind of like one of those like run of the mill, like he's in the neighborhood laundromat guess guy. He's the one who's always at a laundromat kind of person. I feel like Matthew Perry seems like the type of person who should branch out and be a creepy guy at a laundromat in a movie. Sure. Uh, Garrett, do you have have a something you've watched recently that you'd recommend to the listeners yeah so i also have a movie that came out recently uh it's a little horror movie called x 
uh, with uh, Brittany Snow is in it. Uh, Kid Cuddy, Scott Miscuti is in it. And Mia Goth is in it. And it is great. It's just a real, you know, gets right to the point, hour and a half slasher movie um, about a group of people who go make a pornographic film in very rural Texas and the hijinks that ensue. Um, Matthew Perry could probably play the character of Wayne, who is like the producer of the movie, but he wouldn't be as good as Martin Henderson, who does play him. Love uh, Martin Henderson of The Ring. But uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, just, you know, as a horror movie aficionado, I uh, I love a good slasher that doesn't apologize for itself or like try to, you know, make it all about the theme or whatever. And just, yeah, I've yeah. heard really good things about X. I need to get around to watching it. I don't like horror movies, but I like like 80 slashers a lot. And this feels like it would be up my alley because of yeah. that. Like movie movies that are scary now, too scary. And they're always about trauma. And I want a movie to just be about being killed. Yeah, it's a great... Every death in the movie is very inventive, I would say. And uh, the boot order is good, in my opinion. So, yeah, would definitely recommend it. Cool. Um, My recommendation this week... uh, By the time this episode comes out, um, it might start back up on HBO. I don't remember when. But the trailer dropped today on the 26th of April for season two of Hacks. Um, Incredible. Incredible show. Really, really good. Very, very funny. And Matthew Perry is about, I don't know, five to ten years away from playing an older guy on a comeback, uh, which is like, you know, every movie or like every actor eventually plays an old guy doing a comeback. Um, it, him, his turn at that role is not going to be as good as Gene Smart, who is just fucking incredible. But yeah, he would he absolutely should and probably will play like a washed up guy trying to get back into you know the entertainment business in like a bojack horse mini hacks what whatever what have you type role and he will be great in it uh, yeah i'm very excited for season two of hacks you can also play like this sort of guy the sort of like obnoxious uh owner of the casino that gene smart does stand up for oh yeah that'd be you good in that. just sort of like kind yeah. of like the kind of sleazy older guy who dates young women and hates you know hates everybody sort of thing yeah um all right uh that was a another good episode uh daniel what are we watching next week fuck if i know (laughs) well all right it'll be a surprise garrett thank you for uh coming on oh this was a delight i uh had wanted to for a long time as you know so thank you for indulging to have you for a long time so i'm glad it finally happened and i look forward to talking to you again soon about the whole 10 yards uh everyone thanks for listening don't forget to like and subscribe once again a thing i'm trying to remember to say at the end of these episodes not friends pod on twitter yes also that all right have a good week everyone we'll see you next week when we watch zoom <laughs> bye bless you Perry.